we are starting, I'm going to come forward a bit, we're starting a new series today, looking at the book 1 Peter. Uh, but before we get into the book itself and, and step through the verses, we, we thought it would be a good idea to have a look at the author of that book, which is the Apostle Peter, because I think what we know about his life from, from the Gospels gives us a really interesting insight into what inspired him to write that letter in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a, an interesting letter. It's, it's one that's written to Christians undergoing persecution. They're, they're suffering and they're being instructed on how to respond to that situation in a Christ-like way. It's really like it's a, it's a call to live righteously in the face of hostility, really. And so in that sense, it's very countercultural. It was back then and it still is today. And we want to ask the question, I guess, what was it that transformed Peter into the person that could, could respond to those situations in that way? And so we're going to take a look at what we know about the Apostle Peter from the Gospels and the Book of Acts. And we're going to do this over, over two sessions. So I'm going to look at part, I guess, of the Apostle Peter's life. And perhaps one of the earliest appearances is captured in John's Gospel. And it's here that we see Peter is first known by a different name. He's first called Simon. And so at this time, we know Jesus. He's been traveling around. He's been teaching people. He's been performing miracles. And some of the earliest people to acknowledge Jesus uh, and meet him are John the Baptist and Andrew. And Andrew is Simon's brother. And so John's Gospel tells us that they recognize Jesus as the Messiah straight away. And so what would you do if you'd met the Messiah? You'd tell other people about him, right? And this is what it says in John 1 verse 42. There we go. It says, Then Andrew, who is Simon's brother, brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. All right, so this appears to be Simon's first encounter with Jesus. And it's here that Jesus gives him a prophecy. He says, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock or stone. And Peter is that same word, but in Greek. So they both mean stone or rock. And what we know from the Old Testament is that it's not unusual for God to give people new names. You know, think of Abram and Sarah becoming Abraham and Sarah, for example, those names, they always reflect a future promise that God has for that person or a characteristic that that person will receive from God and their, their journey with God is something that God will help them fulfill in their life. And so for Simon, this is a foreshadowing, uh, a foreshadowing of his role in the church as a leader. So Jesus would later reveal to him that it is, Simon, uh, which he would then call Peter, the rock upon which he would build his church. And he says the gates of hell will not conquer it. All right, so Simon probably doesn't know exactly what this prophecy means at this stage, but Jesus can see it in him, and he can see that he will become the kind of person who is steadfast, he'll be firm and courageous, you know, the kind of person who's able to, to weather the storm like a rock. Uh, so he might not be there yet, he might not be there right now, but 
Jesus knows what is to come. And what is to come will shape Simon into Peter. What happens next is that Jesus calls his first disciples. This is what it says in, in Luke, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read these in the New Living Translation as well, if you're following along. Uh, this is what it says. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. All right, so at this stage we see Jesus, he's already teaching large crowds of people. People are, are crowding around him. They're wanting to hear more from him. And so much so that Jesus has to step out onto a boat to address them. He's got to create some space between him and all these people that are crowding around him. So we also see here an important character reappear, Simon. And so we find out from this encounter that he's a fisherman and Jesus uses his boat to teach the crowd from. But this probably isn't just a coincidence. So it goes on to say this. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. So you kind of understand Simon's doubt here, right? From Simon's perspective, he's the experienced fisherman. Jesus is just a carpenter, right? He's the one who's been out all night. Jesus just got on the boat. You know, Simon hasn't caught anything all night, but Jesus thinks the fish are biting, you know? And then Simon is the one who has to row the boat out while Jesus sits on the stern. So you can kind of imagine his attitude right now. You know, Jesus is the rabbi though. So someone's probably thinking, well, I'll humor you for now. He says, if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Right? But Peter wasn't prepared for what was going to happen next. It says this, and this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now Simon wasn't expecting this. Two boats so full of fish that they were on the verge of sinking. Simon was an experienced fisherman, and he definitely hadn't seen anything like this before. But this experience here wasn't just about witnessing a miracle. Something deeper happens in Simon. It goes on to say this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. So something profound enters Simon's mind here. When Jesus does this miracle, I think Simon sees a glimpse of God's glory, of his holiness. And in light of that holiness, he sees his own heart. Right? God's holiness, I think here, makes him aware of his own sinfulness. And he says, Lord, please leave me. To him, a holy God and a sinful person were incompatible. They couldn't exist in the same space. They, they can't be in the presence of each other. But Jesus' reply shatters all of those preconceived ideas. 
Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Rather than leaving Simon, Jesus says to me. And what Simon experienced here was a holy God that comes to sinful people. A holy God that isn't so far above us that he can't have a relationship with us. No, it's the opposite, actually. This is a God who seeks after us, who didn't just spend time in Peter's presence, but also gives him a mission and a purpose. So to Simon, this revelation of who Jesus is is so stunning, it's so powerful, it's so beautiful that he leaves everything and follows Jesus. And I've heard people try to explain this away by saying things like, perhaps it wasn't such a big deal for Simon to leave his job as a fisherman. He probably didn't get paid that well. It's probably hard work. You know, maybe he's following Jesus because he thought it would have been easier. But we know this is not the case, right? So my Bible commentary tells me that fishermen were central to the Galilean economy and actually could make a decent living by the standards of their culture. So it's far better than, I guess, the large number of peasants who would work in the fields throughout the Roman Empire. But we know that fishermen had more income than the average person. And so they were, I think, far from being the elite people in society. But the point to make there is he wasn't leaving his job just because it didn't pay well. Right? There's also that added complexity here that's, I think, often overlooked. Simon isn't, isn't just leaving behind a job. He's also leaving behind everything else. He's leaving behind a successful trade, but also his boat and all his possessions. He's probably leaving behind his friends, his family, and, of course, the comfort and the security that comes with all those things, everything that was familiar and natural to him, everything that he had invested in and worked towards. He was leaving everything behind. And these verses, I guess, are not saying to us as followers that we must leave our careers, sell all all of our possessions, and leave our families behind. But these verses do tell us that for everyone who decides to follow Jesus comfort and certainty are no longer our priorities or our concerns. We put things like our careers, our possessions into God's hands and we say, use them, God, for your will. You know, we'll go where you lead us. So Simon's decision to follow Jesus might seem radical or extreme to most people, but I'd argue that's still an informed decision. And when Jesus says, follow me, Simon might not have known where he was going, but he knew who he was going with. He'd heard Jesus teach the word of God. He'd witnessed this miracle. He had this powerful revelation of who Jesus is. And that was enough for him to leave behind everything, everything that was familiar and follow Jesus. So it's from here that Simon, I think, starts to take his new name a bit more seriously. We start to see Simon referred to, as either Simon Peter, as we did in some of those verses, or just Peter. So he's becoming steadfast in his faith. He's becoming willing to step out and take on new challenges, take on new responsibilities. And this is reflected in the fact that Jesus, when Jesus chooses his 12 apostles, the people who'd go out and spread the good news, Peter is mentioned first. And that happens in Luke chapter 6. I think perhaps signifying how he already had a, a leadership role among the other disciples at that stage. But then Peter, the rock, has his faith put to the test. In the events that follow, Jesus is is still out teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, 
He's still drawing these large crowds. And then, as he often did, he would take time out to get away from those crowds. He'd take time to relax, to pray, get away from that daily routine. And it's during one of those times that the disciples find themselves in their boat without Jesus and in the middle of a storm. It says this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 24 to 33. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble away from land. For a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. So it's dark, they're in the middle of a storm, they're probably a bit on edge already, and then Jesus starts walking to them on the water. This is so unexpected that they think it's a ghost. But then the ghost speaks. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. This is a beautiful picture of how Jesus was always there for them in their time of need. And he reassures them that he is with them and that they have no reason to fear. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. That's absolutely amazing. You know, when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he decided he wanted to be with him. You know, Peter is the first person to recognize that this isn't a ghost. This is Jesus. And knowing who it was, Peter trusted that he could join him on the water. It's a, a recognition of Jesus' power, of his authority. And Peter says, Peter's essentially saying, Lord, since I know it's you, I know you have the power to allow me to walk on the water too. And so Peter jumps over the side of the boat, right, and actually walks on the water too, at least for a little while. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, added. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? So when Peter stepped out of the boat and saw the wind, or more appropriately, the, the effects of the wind on the waves all around him, he began to sink. He cries out, save me, Lord. And Jesus reaches out and saves him and, and exclaims, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? So what happened? Right? His focus, I think, shifted from Jesus to his circumstances. And in this case, it was the, the wind and the waves of the storm that were around him. And in that moment, he began to sink. And there's a, a, a caution, I think, when reading these verses. Um, I've sometimes seen Jesus' criticism here of Peter, where he says, you have little faith, being misread to suggest that it's something that we can or must create ourselves and that somehow we need to just muster up more faith to, to see miracles happen. You need to generate it yourself somehow. Um, you might have heard people say things like, oh, if only you'd had more faith, you would have seen healing. You know, if only you'd prayed harder, you would have seen breakthrough in that situation. And that's, that's not what Jesus is telling Peter here. And I think that kind of thinking excuse faith because it makes faith entirely dependent on what people can manufacture for themselves. Scripture, however, gives us a different guideline for understanding faith. So, for example, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, tells us 
is steadfast in our faith. To run the race before us is to keep our eyes on Jesus, all right? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith, all right? So Jesus is where our faith begins. He is the source of our faith, and he's also what allows us to perfect it, to grow in it, to become stronger in it. In other words, your faith will be constant when your eyes are on Jesus, all right? So what matters most is not the measure of your faith, so to speak. Even when Jesus referred to Peter's faith as little, he was not referring to faith as something that was subjective, that we must create. Instead, what matters most is always the object of your faith. Right? Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off Jesus, who is the object of his faith. That's what caused Peter to sink. Right? And the point here is clear. Your faith is strong only when the object of your faith is strong. As long as your faith is in your circumstances, as long as your faith is focused on anyone or anything other than Jesus, then it won't matter how much faith you have. Right? Sooner or later, you're going to sink. And Peter learnt that the hard way. And then almost as a, a passing note, at the end of this story, we read that the wind immediately ceased when Jesus got into the boat. It says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. A beautiful reminder that Jesus is capable of bringing us peace in the middle of the storm. And then Peter, we see here, I guess throughout those examples, he's being transformed into the kind of future leader that the church would need. At the same time, I think we get an insight into some of his character flaws. Some of those things are revealed to us. And they show us that he's still human. He's just like us at the end of the day. But there are a number of other important events um, where we see Peter's characteristics and, and those sort of things come through. We see um, when Jesus asks, for example, who do you say I am? Peter is the first to declare that Jesus is the Messiah. He recognises him as the Son of God. It's in Luke chapter 9, I think highlighting his, his deeper understanding and his faith. We also see Peter as one of the few disciples who witnessed Jesus' transfiguration. It's also Luke chapter 9. And something that I have no doubt would have given him this, this greater depth of understanding of who Jesus was. And so these, these verses have taken us on a, a bit of a journey, a bit of an insight into the Apostle Peter's life. And... I think we do get a glimpse here of, of what it was that was so transformational in Peter's life. It's his revelation of Jesus, really, and his time spent with him. And this isn't the full story. I haven't covered the full story here for you today, but we've seen, I think, part of what transformed Simon into Peter. It's, it's what allowed him to step out into his new calling as the rock on which God would build his church, and also we've seen some of his flaws. It's been a bit of a mixed bag. We've seen Jesus give Simon this prophecy about his name, something that he no doubt didn't comprehend at the time. We've seen Jesus ask Simon to cast his net for more fish, and Simon is sceptical. We see, see doubt in him. Jesus performs a miracle, and we see how Simon responds with fear and with shame. We see Jesus call Simon to follow him and how he reacts with that radical faith. We also see Jesus come to the disciples in the middle of a storm and we see Peter 
be the first to recognize Jesus and to actually step out in faith. But then we also see him sink. It's been a mixed bag. So we see this picture of someone who is not perfect, someone who has a, a number of character flaws, you could say. But despite that, God still wants to know him and still wants to work through him. And the revelation or the big idea that I want you to take from this is that Jesus didn't call Peter or any of the disciples for that matter because of what they were bringing to the table. You know, and Peter, I think, is a great example of that because he didn't really have many things working in his favour. You know, when we think about who he was, this Galilean fisherman, uneducated, far from being one of the elites in society, he also certainly wasn't the most spiritually qualified for the task. He had no formal religious training. And we see him here as being sceptical, doubtful, losing focus. And yet he's still the one that Jesus chose. Right? He still goes on to become this great leader in the church. And he goes on to write 1 Peter, a book of encouragement to Christians that calls them to live righteously in the face of hostility. You know, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that human history was forever changed by Peter and the other disciples you know, who really took the word of God out into the world and lived out Jesus' teachings, all of which were ordinary people with their own unique, unique strengths, their unique flaws. But nonetheless, they were transformed by a revelation of who Jesus is. And God worked through them despite those shortcomings. All right, so that I hope you can look at Peter's life as well and see that God wants to work through you too. You know, despite your unique strengths, your flaws, God still wants to work through you. And perhaps as a bit of reflection, looking at Peter's life is also a time to ask ourselves, am I willing to lay down all of my securities and comforts to go and follow Jesus? You know, have I handed those things over to God? Am I trusting where he leads me? And just like Peter, just like Peter did when, he, when Jesus said to him, follow me, all right? It's perhaps a time to ask ourselves, am I willing to step into the role God has for me? Just like Peter stepped into his role as a leader and an apostle. And it's a time to ask ourselves, is my focus on Jesus even in the middle of the storm? And am I willing to step off the boat and walk across the water? Right? Trusting that Jesus is there with me. Now, because through all of this, I think we're reminded that Peter was just an ordinary person by the standards of his time. Not one of the elites in society, not the most qualified person for the job, not the highest achiever, just an ordinary person who responded with a radical faith when he had a revelation of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and just thank you, Lord, for that amazing revelation of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that that you are creator, that you are healer, that you are our father, that you have sent us the Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, Lord, for his death and his resurrection and that transformative power that it has over our lives, Lord. So in recognition of that, Lord, we ask you to work through us in a powerful way. Despite our flaws, Lord, despite our shortcomings, we know that anything is possible with you, Lord, that you have the power to still do whatever it is that needs to be done, Lord. Your will, Lord, 
can be done through us. And, and we acknowledge that, Lord, and we lift it up to you and we declare to you today that, that we want you to take control of our lives, that we lay down those things that we're holding on to tightly, Lord, and we say, Lord, you can have those. We want those to glorify your name, to lift you up, Lord, to be used for spreading the good news. We pray that, Lord, in your mighty name. Amen. So, of course, this is not the full story of the Apostle Peter. Pastor Simon will be taking us through the, the second part of the life of Peter. Um, and he's going to pick that up in a few weeks' time.